topic for today is um, alcohol in Judaism. And uh, alcohol is a very um, difficult topic today in general. Um, unfortunately, we live in a time um, where a lot of people struggle with alcohol, um, alcohol use, too much alcohol use. Um, and so we're going to look at the Jewish perspective on alcohol. So just a little background. Alcohol has been used by people from the earliest times. Alcohol has always been used by humans. It was very long ago discovered that if you leave grape juice, if you squeeze grapes and you leave grape juice to ferment, it creates alcoholic beverage. And um, they later discovered that if you add yeasts to other juices, um, or even if you add yeast to grain and water, you can also create alcohol. The yeasts feed off the um, the yeasts feed off the sugar or the carbohydrates, and then the yeasts um, generate alcohol. So we know that um, so alcohol can be created. Now, in early times, alcohol was a basic necessity. Everybody needed to drink alcohol. In fact, the Torah describes um, outside of grain, the other main thing they had was grapes. And growing grapes was very, very important because if you lived in places that did not have easy access to running water, say you did not live on a river, um, and so there was a limit to water, fresh water was limited. You could only get fresh water from the well. So um, it was very hard to have safe drinking water. And what they would do is they would drink alcohol. No luck? What they would do is they would drink alcohol. And not only would they drink plain alcohol, they would even mix water with alcohol so that the alcohol would kill the bacteria in the water. And that is what they would drink. Every time they wanted a drink, they would drink what was called in Hebrew, yayin mazu, or mixed wine. Wine, a little bit of wine. It was about a quarter, a third wine and two-thirds water. Um, and that was their drink. That was their regular drink because it was the only safe thing they could drink. Um, no, because they were eating it in small amounts. Um, now, because alcohol, because alcohol in small amounts relaxes the drinker and it makes people um, more sociable, it's been used throughout history as a form of socializing, particularly at parties, at celebrations. Um, it also creates a certain euphoria, um, similar to other drugs, and so therefore people um, enjoy alcohol, and therefore it's led also to a downside of alcohol, which is sometimes people take large amounts of alcohol. Now, while alcohol in large amounts, um, even not very large amounts, but somewhat large amounts, lead to drunkenness. Drunkenness leads us to do all sorts of bad things. Today we have cars, which means that every person owns a weapon when they're not in full control. And so if they drink a little bit, they can kill someone. Um, but even before then, uh, wine, uh, alcohol was something, alcohol consumption when a person drank too much and was, um, was no longer sober, they would, um, they would lose their ability to function properly. And so it could lead to all sorts of negative things. We also, um, then uh, uh, taking even more alcohol could lead, lead to unconsciousness and it can either even lead to death. A person can, to, with, from alcohol poison. Today we know, thanks to modern medicine, that long-term regular alcohol use 
causes many diseases, including cancer and liver diseases, um, heart disease, and multiple other diseases. Now, because of the downsides of alcohol, many groups have forbade drinking alcohol altogether, including, of course, the Muslims have forbidden it, the Mormons, for those in Utah, have forbidden drinking alcohol, and many, many other groups throughout society, throughout history, have forbidden altogether the use of alcohol because of the downsides of alcohol. And there was, of course, at the very beginning of the previous century, a big movement in this country to ban alcohol, which led to prohibition. Um, and um, for some 20 years, we did not have alcohol. Alcohol was illegal throughout this country. Um, we realized afterwards it wasn't that great an idea. Now, Jews throughout our history, we generally drank alcohol. It's mentioned many times throughout our scripture. We, of course, lived in early times in the land of Israel. Um, living in the land of Israel, as we mentioned before, grapes was a staple, just like grain. Grain and grapes were the main staples, along with olives, which we used for oils, um, both for which was used both in cooking as well as, um, f- as a cream for our skins in order to protect our skin from disease. Um, so we used, but grapes were a basic staple um, because we drank wine. Uh, we widely drank wine because of the lack of safe drinking water. Israel has a shortage of water, um, and the water collected is collected from rainwater. Rainwater that's collected very quickly um, becomes full of bacteria and becomes unhealthy to drink. And so um, unless it's under, kept underground, um, in underground aquifers, which Israel does have some aqu- underground aquifer, and then pumped up through wells, um, which Israel had historically, uh, or, and, and since it has no real main river, um, they used alcohol, they used wine, was their main drink. Um, but wine also had a prominent part in Jewish rituals. We drank wine for many important rituals, including for Kiddush, of course. We um, always make Kiddush with a cup of wine. For Havdalah, we make we use a cup of wine. At a Brit, at a circumcision, we use a cup of wine. At a wedding, we use actually two cups of wine. At a Pidyon Haben that we did a couple weeks ago, the redeeming of the firstborn son, um, we use a cup of wine. When we do the blessing um, after um, the meal, it's a, um, it's, we often use wine. Um, along with the blessing. And then we have, um, of course, four cups of wine that we eat at our Seder. So we have a lot of wine. In, uh, uh, so we have a lot of wine in Jew- found in Jewish ritual. It's the only kind of alcohol we use in Jewish ritual. But there is a lot of wine in Jewish ritual. <laughs> wine, of course, was used also, even though we didn't drink it in the temple. We were forbidden from drinking it in the temple, as we mentioned a moment ago. Um, but it was used actually in temple in the temple service. They would part of the service was to pour wine on the altar. So they actually would pour wine um, in the in the temple service. Now Jews throughout our history, of course, drank alcohol in these as part of celebrations. Um, whenever we um, had a celebration or a party, it was always a Jewish thing to drink alcohol. That's part of what we did, um, and. Um, we would always celebrate, say, what we would call a little l'chaim. Um, l'chaim became life, which was a way of a toast, um, and we would toast with alcohol. Um, but Jews not only drank alcohol, we were also very dominant in the alcohol business wherever we went. 
The Talmud tells us about many Talmudic sages in Babylon that dealt in wine and beer, including Rav Chista. Rav Papa was a great beer merchant. He was very wealthy. Later in the Middle Ages, Jews controlled most of the alcohol trade in Europe was controlled by Jews. Um, Rashi, one of our greatest leaders we know, um, was in the wine business. Um, other great, other, uh, there were other great Jewish merchants um, in the wine business. Um, later, uh, we settled at first in Europe, in Western Europe, in Spain, in Germany, um, Italy. But later, as persecution increased in those places, very, very large number of Jews moved to what was then the Kingdom of Poland. The Kingdom of Poland encompassed most of Eastern, what we know today as Eastern Europe, was part of the Kingdom of Poland. And so um, Jews were invited to the Kingdom of Poland um, in its early days. The Polish kings were very... Um, so uh, we uh, gave a lot of freedoms to Jews. And so Jews were invited to the kingdom of Poland. And very, very large numbers moved in the 1300s to the kingdom of Poland. And that's where Eastern Euro- European Jewry came from. One of the main jobs that Jews had, Jews were forbidden to own land that only belonged to the, uh, the, the aristocracy, the nobles. And... Um, we didn't work the land. We weren't peasants either. Um, so we were somewhat limited in our professions. But one profession that Jews um, excelled in was in alcohol making. <coughs> Poland was a great place where they made alcohol, the kingdom of Poland, um, particularly um, vodka, of course. That's where it came from. And so from northern eastern Europe. And so... Um, we Jews were making it, exporting it, and not only that, we also owned, we also ran most of the taverns. Everything was owned by the by the noble class, but we the Jews ran most of the taverns. And every village, like in England um, and most other cold places, every village in the Kingdom of Poland had um, its own tavern. And um, the Jews were generally the bartenders. They were the ones that managed the taverns, would make the alcohol, and then sell it and distribute it, um, which um, lasted for a very long time until Jews were kicked out of the villages. Uh, later, that most of Poland was swallowed into the Russian Empire, and in the early 19th century, Jews were kicked out of all the villages, and so they lost um, the taverns. But in fact, there was an anti-Semitic trope that was very common, that Jews would conspire to make the Gentiles drunk and take their money, and Jews convincing the Gentiles to drink more, drink more. Um, and so, but what's interesting is that while Jews tended to run the taverns, they tended not to drink themselves. And that made the non-Jews even more suspicious that there was some form of Jewish conspiracy to, um, they couldn't understand, you have so much alcohol at your disposal and you never get drunk. And so um, that they, of course, believed there was some sort of conspiracy that the Jews were trying to get the Gentiles drunk to take their money. Um, Now, of course, bartenders tend to see it as a job and uh, don't generally drink for that reason. Um, But the truth is that while alcohol was always a big problem in Europe, particularly in Northern Europe, colder climates tend to have a greater alcohol problem. Um, And it still is a very, very big problem in Europe. Europe Europe still today is the largest uh, geographically uh, has the worst alcohol problem, particularly Northern Europe. Um, And it was particularly a problem historically among the lower class, in other words, the peasants um, in the um, feudal society. Um, But Jews tended not to drink. Um, Though we lived in Northern Europe, 
um, Jews tended not to drink. And while there were always Jewish alcoholics, we do know that throughout history we always had a Jewish Jews that had alcohol problems, but they were low in number, much lower than the general population. And that created this myth that Jews don't drink. Um, now, and still today, interestingly, surveys show today that alcohol, alcoholism affects Jews at much lower numbers than the general population. There are different theories as to why, but we do know there are Jews that struggle with alcohol, but it's overall statistically on a much lower level than the general population. For Jews, I believe it's less than 1% um, that have a... Um, that have an ongoing alcohol problem, while among the general population, it's a couple times that. So I think it's five, six percent. So it's it's there's quite a significant difference. So, what does our Jewish teachings actually say about alcohol? So in Judaism, we actually find, of course, a lot of negative statements about alcohol. The first time alcohol is mentioned in the Torah is with wine, of course, when Noah makes wine after the flood. Noah grows a vineyard. First thing he does, and he makes wine, and then he gets drunk. And then it tells us he ends up in his tent naked, and his son Ham then does something to him. The Torah doesn't give us the graphics of exactly what happened. Um, the, our oral traditions do give us um, at least two different um, traditions as to what exactly happened. Either he raped him or he castrated him. But um, he was very upset, Noah, when he woke up and he curses Ham and his son Canaan and blesses his other sons. Clearly, we see from here that drinking was not a good thing. Um, even before that, there's actually a view in the Talmud that the fruit of the tree of knowledge, the Torah tells us that Adam was told not to eat from the tree. He wasn't allowed to eat the fruit, and then he ate, Adam and Eve both ate from the fruit. But it doesn't tell us what sort of fruit that was. And for good reason, because were we to know definitively what that fruit was, we would probably never want to eat that fruit. So the Torah doesn't tell us what the fruit was. Um, the Talmud offers a couple different traditions as to what the fruit is, but one of them is that it was actually grapes, and it wasn't that he ate grapes, but he rather drank wine. Wine was the problem. Later, Abraham's nephew Lot is given to drink by his daughters as part of their attempt to get him to commit incest, um, and they end up having children with their father. Again, negative impact of wine. Of course, in this week's parsha, we said Nadav and Avil die, and one of the reasons given for that is that they drink wine before entering the temple. Um, and God indeed commanded Aaron not to drink wine before entering the temple. And um, drinking wine before going into the temple, the punishment for doing so is death. The Torah in this week's parsha also notes that one is not allowed to teach Torah or give a legal ruling while intoxicated. Um, and um, later the Talmud tells us that someone um, who is drunk should not pray because you cannot stand before a king while drunk before an important person while drunk, how would you stand before God while drunk? So you cannot pray while drunk. Um, the Torah also later tells us about a Nazir. A Nazir is someone who decides to, makes a vow of holiness, and uh, they're forbidden from three things. They're not allowed to come in contact with the dead. They're not allowed to cut their hair, and they're not allowed to drink wine. 
So um, again, to keep away from alcohol. Um, we're later told by the prophet Amos that one of the reasons for the exile of the ten tribes was because of their excessive drinking. They were drinking too much. That led to all sorts of other horrible acts. And as a result, um, God exiled them. And so in scripture, we have a lot of negative things to say about wine. Um, in Proverbs, which is a great Mishle, which is a book written by King Solomon about great life lessons that we can learn. Um, King Solomon tells us, um, who has wounds without cause, who has bloodshot eyes, those who sit late over wine, those who come to search for mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when he puts his eye on the cup. It goes smoothly. Ultimately, it will bite like a serpent and sting like a viper. Your eyes will see strange women. Your heart will speak confusedly. So, a lot of things that happen when you drink wine, right? Proverbs has a lot of very powerful lines. And so a lot of horrible things happen. You will, um, it goes very smoothly at first. Everything seems fine, but it will bite like a serpent eventually. And it leads to sexual crimes, of course, um, adultery. Um, it leads you to safe things that you later regret. And um, it leads to all sorts of different sins. So the Talmud also warns us about the dangers of alcohol. And um, in one place, the Talmud says that Elijah the prophet told the scholar of Yehuda, don't get angry, you won't sin. Don't drink, you won't sin. Two, two tricks to not messing up, not doing the wrong thing. Don't get angry and don't drink. Those are two things that tend to lead us to doing the wrong thing. I'm going to do a class on anger one day. Um, Talmud also tells us that nichnas yayin yatsasod. Wine goes in, the secrets come out. And the Talmud <laughs> points out that the Hebrew word yayin has every word, every letter in Hebrew has a number value. And we see significance of the number value of different words. The Hebrew word yayin, yud, yud nun, is yud is 10, yud is 10 and nun is 50, make up, make the number 70. And so, samach vav dalet, samach is 60. Vav is 6 and Dalit is 4, make the number 70, so they actually have an equal value because wine goes in, secrets come out. So if you want to be able to keep a secret or you don't, don't want to share certain things, the solution is don't drink. In Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, it says um, about things that motzien et adam mina olam, literally bring a person out of the world or destroy someone's life. One of those things is um, drinking. Drinking can destroy your life. The other thing is, the other things mentioned over there are Shana Shalshachris, people that sleep in, can't get up in the mornings, and um, people that can't control what they say. Those are things that um, ruin a person's life. But the Talmud also has a great line that only goes well in Hebrew and doesn't translate very well. It says, there's three ways you could really get to know someone, know what's really there in someone. Bekoso, bekiso, and bekaso. They're all very similar words. With his cup, with his wallet, and with his anger. So, anger, anger. Three ways you get to know what's really there. When they drink, when you see their spending habits, and when they get angry, then you see what's really there inside. So, um, 
From the Talmud, it's very clear that um, we are forbidden to drink to the point where we lose control of ourselves. It is wrong to drink to the point that we're going to lose control of ourselves since we're always required to keep the commandments. The Talmud calls this, has a term for it, shikruto shel lot. We cannot get as drunk as Lot was when Lot allowed his daughters to rape him. If you're so drunk that you would commit incest, or you're so drunk that you lose absolute total control of yourself, you cannot get that drunk. Because a person is always responsible for their actions. Even after you drink wine, you're still res- after you drink, you're still responsible for your actions. If you drink to a point that you cannot control your actions anymore, then you sinned by drinking. You should have never drunk into that point. You were wrong to ever get to that point. So a person is not allowed to drink to the point where they lose control of their actions, but even drinking to the point where they still have some control, but they don't come across stable, or they don't come across sober. Um, we mentioned they're not allowed to teach or give halachic rulings. They're not allowed to go into the temple, and they're not allowed to even pray because you can't stand before God um, in a drunken stupor. So clearly we have some very lot of negatives um, on alcohol in Judaism. However, at the same time, we also embrace alcohol, particularly wine, as we've seen. We have this thing with wine. Now, first we mentioned that wine has a very strong place in Jewish ritual. We have to drink wine for Kiddush every Friday night. We have to drink wine every Saturday night for Havdalah. We have to drink, we drink, we drink um, at the Seder four cups of wine. So we drink quite a lot of wine. We have a lot of ritual. And so we consider wine, <laughs> we use wine, as we said, in celebration. Um, we use it to toast to life, lechayim, to life. And um, for a celebration, we always include wine in Jewish celebrations. And the Zohar tells us that Ein kedusha ela beyayin, holiness can only be attained with wine, and ein bracha ela beyayin, blessings only come through wine, which is why whenever we make a blessing, we always do so over a cup of wine, because blessings always come through wine, holiness comes through wine. The Talmud tells us that when we are required to rejoice. We're required to read, we should, in Jews in general are required to be happy, the Torah tells us. It's a, a uh, we're supposed to always be happy because happiness allows us to um, do what we're supposed to do. Um, depression holds us down, holds us back. And so we're supposed to be happy. And the Talmud tells us, en simcha el the only way to get happy is by drinking wine. So much so that a, we are required to make sure that we are happy on the festivals. The Torah says, V'samachta bechagecha, you must be happy on the festivals. And the Talmud says, because you must be happy on the festivals, everyone is required to drink wine on the festivals in order to get happy. There's no way to get happy without drinking wine. Of course, we know on Purim, um, 
Of course, we know on Purim, we're told to drink, not just to drink a little wine, but to drink a lot of wine as part of the celebration of Purim. So I'm soon going to get to the limits and the balance of that. Um, But for those who are wondering, what if you are off alcohol entirely, or say which, uh, or you don't like alcohol, are you required to drink wine in these instances? So generally, you are not required to do so. In fact, the Nazar is somebody who we mentioned the Torah says abstains from wine and you are not required. You can try to find other ways to get happy, but you will still be missing out because you cannot, the Talmud says, you cannot truly get happy without wine. Yes. Well, you give, you give someone an inch and they'll take a push because wine has graduated to whiskey and hard liquor and that changes the entire equation very good point number two you have it's very interesting that on Purim at least judging from the Purims around here where we're supposed to drink wine and and even whiskey I do not see people running off and getting drunk there probably are four of which that happens yet on Simcha's Torah where it does not say you have to people do get drunk and totally out of control fair enough Please respond to that. No response. Um, yes? I've, uh, I've been representing people in court for DUI for many years, and I've had made some observations. Many of them, most of, many of them are Jewish. And um, I realize that one of the things that the Jewish people I have represented, they like to be in control of their thoughts. So generally, they lose control of their thoughts if they drink. I myself am one of those that I rarely drink, especially uh, other than at home. And uh, I think that that's one of the factors. We like to be, and I can make that generality, I think, that the Jewish people I know like to be in control of their thoughts. And it has difficulty for them okay. to control their thoughts when they're under the influence of alcohol. Okay. So, so clearly we see that there's an advantage of wine. It's an important part of Judaism. Um, and it's the only thing the Talmud says that can make you happy. Um, in Scripture, we're told that our people are compared to wine. Um, the Torah is compared to wine. And Kabbalah also sees great significance in wine. Kabbalah sees wine as representing the level of Bina, or God's understanding. And so in Jewish communities, we've always used alcohol. We've used alcohol to celebrate occasions. We've used alcohol, of course, at Shabbat dinner. And in Hasidic communities, we would gather, uh, we gather for what's called fabrengans or um, inspirational gatherings where we inspire um, each other. And uh, usually that includes a couple drinks. So alcohol has had a very important place in Judaism, despite all the negatives that we mentioned earlier. So what then are we supposed to make of wine and alcohol in general? Is it good or bad? Should we be drinking or not? The truth is that alcohol has two sides to it, just like most things in life. Most things can be used for good and be used for bad, depending on how it is used. And generally, the more powerful something is, the more powerful it's good, and the more powerful it's bad. Think, for example, nuclear energy, right? It is the most powerful thing that we have. It's good is very powerful. Um, In theory, it's the cleanest form of energy. And it's bad is... um, 
very powerful too. So there are things, something that is very powerful can be used for good in a powerful way and for bad in a powerful way. And the, the stronger it is, the greater the good and the greater the bad. So the more important it is to use it and the more careful we have to be not to misuse it. Alcohol was always used in Judaism because it generates euphoria. In other words, it makes you feel good about yourself. Um, and it lowers inhibitions. It lowers personal inhibitions, which is part of what makes us more social. In other words, part, normally we have a lot of guards because we're careful. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We're afraid to do things naturally um, that kind of keep us within in the social context from doing, saying the wrong thing or acting out the wrong way. Alcohol removes a lot of those inhibitions, which allows us to say things that sometimes need to be said, but we're afraid to say it. It also removes um, personal inhibitions. In other words, within our own self, not only in the socially, sometimes we're uncomfortable recognizing certain things in ourself or dealing with certain things with ourselves. And when we drink alcohol, we become more comfortable with dealing with those inhibitions. So alcohol has that ability to um, lower our inhibitions um, and actually which can help us both in our personal development and in socializing. Um, it also can make us happier because certain things that bother us, which are those same kind of inhibitions, um, stop bothering us when after drinking alcohol because it takes away inhibitions. However, that only is true in small amounts. Once you drink larger amounts, it's going to lead to bad actions. It leads to loss of self-control. Um, and it, if it takes away your inhibitions too far, then you have no self-control whatsoever. And then at a certain point, it lo you lose your ability to think rationally. And of course, it then leads to many health problems. So the alcohol that Judaism has always encouraged was what we could call the good side of alcohol. While at the same time in Judaism, we always discouraged the bad side of alcohol. We mentioned earlier that there's a view in the Talmud that the tree of knowledge was grapes and Adam drank wine. Now, the tree of knowledge, we're told, is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's a knowledge of good and bad. And eating from the tree of knowledge gave Adam the recognition that things in life have both the good side to it and a bad side to it. You've got to control yourself. You've got to be able to only use the good side without using the bad side. There are some things that you've got to be, uh, and for some people that might be true of alcohol, that you cannot control yourself or it's too hard to control yourself, so better to keep away from entirely. But many, most things, and alcohol for most people, we can use it for positive, but avoid its negative goal. There's a very interesting Midrash. The Midrash is um, er, our early commentaries on the Torah, and um, often the Midrash will tell us kind of these parables for life lessons. The Midrash tells us when Noah planted his vineyard, he's the one that got drunk and got into trouble. When Noah planted his vineyard, along came Satan, appearing like another person, and asks to join him. Now clearly this story could not have happened because besides Noah, nobody else was around. Everyone else perished, right? So it's a, it's a metaphor. So um, Satan asked to join him, and um, Noah agreed, said, sure, come join me. 
And so Satan says, I have some tricks to help the vineyard grow better. And so he takes a sheep and he slaughters a sheep in the vineyard and lets its blood drip to the roots of the grapevines. Then he takes a lion and he slaughters a lion in the vineyard and he lets its blood drip to the roots of the vines. And then he takes a pig and he slaughters the pig in the vineyard and he lets its blood drip into the roots of the vines. And then he takes a monkey and he slaughters the monkey in the vineyard and uh, he lets its blood drip um, to the roots of the vines. And the Midrash tells us that he was teaching Noah about what happens when we drink alcohol. Before you begin drinking alcohol, you're like a sheep, full of inhibition, full of fear. And we naturally, we humans, we always have inhibitions and fears and worries and concerns. You drink a little, you lose those inhibitions, you lose those fears, those worries and those concerns. You become like a lion. You become strong and powerful like a lion. But then when you drink a little bit more, those inhibitions go, those lack of inhibitions goes a little bit too far and you start becoming filthy like a pig. But then you drink a little bit more and you lose your intellect entirely. You lose your ability to think straight and you become like a monkey. So it's really the procession of drinking. Before you drink, you're a sheep. Drink a little, you're a lion. You're in a good place. Drink too much, you become like a pig. And you drink even more, you become a monkey. So alcohol in very small amounts is healthy. And as the Zohar said, holy and the source of blessing. But in very large amounts, alcohol is dangerous. Now we mentioned that Kabbalah teaches that wine represents Bina, or God's understanding. And so wine has a lot, although alcohol makes it harder to think, but wine in Kabbalah represents understanding, because it has a lot in common with our ability to understand. Our ability to discern, to understand things, is the greatest power we humans have. We're able to uncover secrets. As we mentioned, wine uncovers secrets. Bina understanding uncovers secrets too. We can understand, uncover the secrets of our universe. And we work to do that. We can work to make our lives better. We can work to better understand ourselves and uncover the secrets of our lives and better build our character. As long as we use our intellect in a measurable, proper way. What happens when we become too calculated? What happens if we think too much? If we overuse our understanding? What happens is, if we overuse our intelligence, firstly, we could use our intelligence to defend evil. And sometimes we use, smart people can use their intelligence to explain bad things. But if we dig too deep, what happens is we start digging, uh, what happens is it ends up destroying our lives. The two, if we dig too deep and try to analyze everything and reanalyze everything, um, it destroys our lives eventually. And if you know anyone like that, that thinks too much, it can also become a problem. There's an old Yiddish joke, I think I may have told it here before, but it never hurts to tell again, that um, there was once um, two friends, one was very wise and one was very foolish. 
and they were walking down the street and someone in front of them dropped a stack of cash. Cash, cash, money, bills. And so the foolish friend, the simple friend, I should say, um, ran to, picks up the cash and starts running after the fellow who dropped it to give it back to him. His smart friend grabs him and says, what are you doing? There's no way he can ever prove that cash was his. It's just cash. There's no wallet. There's nothing on it. How is he ever going to prove that he was the one that dropped it? And so his simple friend says, thank God I'm simple, because if I was smart, I would be a thief. (laughs) So being a thief, right? Being too smart is not always good. So alcohol is the same thing. In small amounts, it enhances our lives, but in very large amounts, it is very, very destructive. Now, you're probably wondering, if alcohol in small amounts is very good, as we said, the only way to be happy is with wine. The only way to get blessing is with wine. Um, and it helps, us, it helps us in our character development. It helps us in being happy to um, connect to God. And uh, it's a good thing, and we use it extensively in Judaism, in small amounts. So can the same be said for other drugs? Say marijuana. Now, harder drugs we know are dangerous and addictive, even in very, very small doses. But what about drugs like marijuana that are not so addictive and generally considered safe in small doses? So we did a class. We did a class a couple months ago. Some of you may recall about drugs in Judaism. And I personally don't have experience that I could tell you from my own experience, but this is my understanding um, of the difference between them. The advantage of alcohol in small doses is not that it inspires you. Alcohol does not inspire you, does not make you feel the love of God, nor does it make you want to be more spiritual. What alcohol, of course, is a, uh, alcohol is a depressant, right? So alcohol doesn't inspire you. Rather, what alcohol does as a depressant is it removes inhibitions. It removes things that are stopping you from being happy, things that are stopping you from socializing, things that are stopping you from being inspired and improving your life. However, however, other drugs, other drugs that are not downers, what they call uppers, that don't, aren't depressants but make a person happier um, are a little different. The Rebbe was once asked about using LSD, this is back in the 60s when it was popular, um, to bring a person closer to God. Can you imagine praying after taking some LSD? Much, much better quality prayer. So the Rebbe responded that the Rebbe responded that the goal of Torah and Judaism is for us to grow and accomplish using our own abilities rather than using artificial means. In other words, we're supposed to inspire ourselves. We're not supposed to use artificial drugs to inspire us. We're supposed to um, connect to God with our own minds. We're not supposed to use artificial drugs to... um, connect to God. Now, whether you could use marijuana 
on its own is a separate discussion, and we discuss that in our class on drugs. For those who wish, I can send you the recording. Um, but in our relationship to God, we shouldn't use drugs to inspire love of God or inspire us to connect to God, because assuming that it works in doing so, I don't know if it does, because that's not using our own abilities. Alcohol, though, as a depressant, the alcohol doesn't inspire us at all. The alcohol simply removes inhibitions that are stopping us from getting inspired, stopping us from connecting, stopping us from building our, recognizing our problems, stopping us from building ourselves. So we Jews... I don't know. I don't know. Um, so that's my understanding of the difference, but I don't know. So... So we Jews have historically drank alcohol, but in small doses. And somehow, historically, we managed to keep society away from drinking too much. Now, there are many reasons for that, uh, offered for that. We don't know exactly why Jews drank less. Some suggest that there may actually be something genetic, a, a gene that Jews tend to have that makes them less susceptible to become alcoholics, or at least a gene that makes us respond more negatively to alcohol. We get sicker from alcohol. It's harder for us to hold our drinks, and therefore we drink less. Um, but there are also so definitely some cultural reasons why Jews historically drank less. Firstly, our alcohol consumption was mainly wine. Jews per capita today, by the way, drink by far the most wine, which is why there are so many great kosher wines, because drink, Jews drink much more wine than any other group. Um, it's very hard to become an alcoholic on wine, since wine is very hard on the body. Um, in other words, there's a lot of bad effects when drinking large amounts of wine, other than just the alcohol. So, um, so because of that, unlike other um, unlike other drinks that are much smoother. Um, also, um, in Judaism, as much as we encouraged wine, we very much discouraged drunkenness. It was very, very much frowned upon a Jew that ever got drunk. In fact, we had an old Yiddish line that said, Shikr is a goy. Shikr, if it makes sense, Shikr means drunk. In Yiddish, guy, everyone knows what that means. Shikr is a guy, and is is the same in Yiddish. And so it's not saying that Jews don't drink, or Gentiles tend to drink, or um, it's shikr is a guy. If you're drunk, you're a guy. That's and so that kind of rough statement like that that Jews would say. Um, definitely created the kind of culture where it was simply unacceptable to drink. Um, it, to drink large amounts, that is, or to get drunk. So while we would drink in small amounts, getting drunk was to considered totally unacceptable in Judaism. Um, also, Jews always drank for religious reasons. It was considered something holy. Um, we drank at parties and celebrations. We drank at dinners, Shabbat, holiday dinners, but Jews firstly never drank alone. It was considered unacceptable to ever drink alone. Jews never drank alone. They're eating dinner alone. They didn't have a glass of wine with their dinner. They never drank alone. We also never just drank. 
Jews never went to the bar. We managed the bars. We never went to the bar. Jews would drink at parties in a context, but we never went to a place where the main context was drinking. We never just drank. And so it's a lot harder to over-drink if it's within a dinner than it is when you're sitting at a bar and all you're doing is drinking and maybe snacking just in between drinks. Um, we also, Judaism, of course, has been very family-oriented, has a very strong focus on family. We spoke about that a couple times. Um, and that, of course, gives us a later responsibility, greater responsibility. Family people are less likely to have an alcohol problem because they know they have greater responsibility. Um, but it, perhaps it's most likely true that because we saw holiness in drinking, we saw drinking a, as a holy thing. We drink on Shabbos. We have wine on holidays in celebrations, um, we encouraged it in the right context. And because we encouraged it in the right context, that make, made us less susceptible to negative drinking. So therefore, in Judaism, yes, we see alcohol as a very good thing, a very positive thing, um, and it's the best way to be happy, to become happy when one wants to be happy. It's the best way uh, it's also a great way to develop one's character if done in the right structure. Um, but it must also, it must always be done. It must be limited. One should never overdrink only a very small amount. Um, and one should never have more than a, just a couple small drinks and that's it. Never overdo it. And, um, and we were always very careful about that. It was unacceptable to get drunk. Um, and so if we drink only in very small amounts and we see value in our drinking and meaning behind it, um, then it's a whole different kind of drinking. And so we did see value. Getting drunk, though, in Judaism was always considered a horrible thing.